Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Good morning. Can we give the halal and our worship team another hand? That was awesome. That was awesome. So good to be with you this morning, both our Kapolei campus, Ohana, and our family online. I'm Art Larson, one of the pastors here at New Hope Leeward. We want to thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world today. We do appreciate you being here. Over the last several weeks, six weeks, this is the seventh, we've been looking at various stories in the Bible, beautiful stories uh, uh, where Jesus is interrupting lives of ordinary, everyday people, and he's doing amazing and extraordinary things. All these stories, they're, just, they're not just biblical history, folks. They serve to build our faith, to remind us that our Savior still interrupts lives today, just like he did way back then. Speaking of interruptions, I'm reminded of a, a funny story about interruptions. This burglar decides to interrupt the home of a family while they're out to dinner. And so he sneaks into this house, and he leaves all the lights off, and he has his little light, and he's beginning to look around, case out the place, and figure out what, what he wants to snag. And out of the pitch black darkness, he hears this disembodied voice, Jesus is watching you. And he almost lost it. He freaked. And he turns off his flashlight. He, did, he didn't move for like several. He just stopped. He couldn't hear anything. It was like pitch black, dead silence. And he waited and nothing happened. So finally he turned back on his light and he started looking again. Looking, And he found the TV and he found the entertainment center. And he was disconnecting the Blu-ray player. And he hears that voice again. Jesus is watching you. This time he absolutely freaks out. He starts shining his light everywhere. Who is talking to me? Who is talking? And in the corner of the room, he sees this perch, and there's this parrot sitting on top of the perch. And he went, oh. So he walks over to the parrot and said, did you say that? The parrot said, yes, I did. I was warning you. you and he giggles. He goes, you were warning me, huh? Who are you? Moses, the parrot said. <laughs> so now he, out, LOL, he laughs out loud. He goes, what kind of stupid people name their parrot Moses? The parrot, without breaking strides, just says, the same people that would name their 100-pound pit bull Jesus. <laughs> Interruptions. Interruptions. Right? They can change our world, can't they? They change the life of that burglar. He is in for a massive interruption. And so we're talking about that. All joking aside, these past several weeks, we've seen how Jesus does just do that. He changes life. Not... Not Jesus the Mastiff Bull, but Jesus our Christ, our Lord. He changed the life of a Pharisee, remember, named Nicodemus, a, a nameless harlot. He changed the lives of his disciples, all of them. He changed the life of a chief tax collector. And last weekend we heard from Pastor Josiah that he changed the life of an invalid that had been that way for almost four decades. Before we, as, as we, maybe we should say this, as we close our series today, this is a closing installment. We're going to talk about how Jesus interrupts lives that struggle with discouragement and defeat unto restoration. Before we dive into a text, I want to kind of set up this message up front. Even in prepping, that's why this past week, I, I took some shots on a personal level regarding the topic that we're going to talk about this weekend. This weekend, we're going to address something in Christianity, folks, that I've come to believe is one of the biggest and most insidious attacks 
on Christians today. And yes, we're speaking to Christians this weekend. All my years as a believer, as a minister, I've seen this type of attack shipwreck lives, shipwreck people's faith, shipwreck as literally people just walking away from God, their calling and their destiny in Christ. I've seen it shipwreck new believers, new converts. They, they give up and they bail out on God before they ever really get started. And this attack usually comes generally from three sources, one of which we probably all know the attack comes from the enemy of our soul, the adversary, the, 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 the accuser of the brethren, the devil. This attack also comes from others. It could be family, friends, congregants, co-workers. Comes from them. But probably the biggest attack, uh, the one more than these two, this attack comes from ourselves. In my experience, it's usually the more, uh, the more self-inflicted people. Uh, they are the ones that come under attack, and it's self-inflicted. What are we going to talk about this weekend? We're going to talk about guilt and condemnation. And we're going to look at a guy today that had to wrestle with all that because of the decisions he made. We're going to visit Peter, the denier, after the resurrection. I will say this, folks. If I was a gambling man, and I'm not, but I would, I would believe that there is an unbelievable amount of people, both here and our online family, that, that know what I'm talking about. You, I believe there's an unbelievable amount of people that know people like this. You know people that have walked away from God or given up on their faith because of guilt and condemnation. You know, those people you know that they stop walking with and serving God because they feel like God will, they feel this, that God will never want to use them again. They feel like they don't have the needed faith. They don't feel like they're ever going to measure up to God's standards. They, they feel like the vices in their life, they will never gain victory over. I know some of you know people like that. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a co-worker. It could be a congregant, a former congregant. It could be your spouse. I know there's a lot of people here. Your spouse is not here because something happened. Guilt and condemnation happened. They just said, I'm never going back to church. How can you be so confident there's a massive amount of people doing it? I know that many of you know at least one. You know why I know that? Because I know many. I know a lot. I know, and it breaks my heart. I know so many that have given up that simply because of guilt and condemnation. We're going to spend most of our time today in John's Gospel, chapter 21, right? Only five simple verses, verses 15 to 19. But for context's sake, we want to catch you up to speed, but we're going to start in John 20 so you can understand as we roll into the 21st chapter. In John chapter 20, Jesus is crucified, and he's also resurrected in John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, uh, he appears to his disciples two times, right? He appears to his disciples two times in the previous chapter. In 21, where we're going to be today, he's going to appear to his disciples for the third time. Don't mind me. Uh, show of hands. How many of you? I'm not sick. No infection. No nothing. No congestion. How many of you guys got a dry cough hanging out? Am I the only one? Yeah. This thing, man, I want to, if it had a face, I'd punch it. You know, I'm so sick of this cough. I'm so sick of this itchy, itchy little, and I'm not sick. I'm nothing. It's just, hmm. So you, you know, if I, I drink a little bit more water, it's not because I'm dehydrated. I'm just trying to keep my, my throat from acting up, okay? 
Moving forward to John chapter 21, our story is going to pick up where uh, uh, Jesus, again, he's appearing to his disciples for the third time. In the beginning of chapter 21, it started out like this. You might not have it in your notes. It's going to come up on the screen so you can get an idea where we're going. It says here, Simon Peter, this is verses 2 and 3 in chapter 21. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. For the sake of time, I'll remind everyone what happens as they are coming back to shore. Now, they're approaching the shore. It's the next morning, and they have an empty boat and empty nets, right? There's a guy on the, on, they cannot recognize him. There's some guy on the shore, and he calls out to them and asks them, do you have any fish? And they, which they reply, no, we don't. This, this guy then tells them, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they do, they hook up. Hanapa'a. They hook up. They, 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 they snag the mother load. They hit the mother load. As a matter of fact, if you go to verse 10, John tells you exactly what they caught. They said they caught 153 large fish. That's a lot of fish. And these are large fish. It's, it's unreal. All you fishermen out there, we're not talking about omilo and papil. We're talking like 153 ulua. <laughs> you know what that'll go for. You take that to the bank, right? And so, you know, what... As soon as they see that, as soon as they see this net, overwhelmed net, John, the writer of this gospel, says, he knows he's on the shore. He goes, it is the Lord. That's what he says. It is the Lord. What happens next? We hear a big splash. Why? Peter's in the water. Peter is head. He, he doesn't want to wait. He's swimming towards. Think about that for a second. He just, as soon as he finds out it is the Lord, he's heading in, he's heading into shore, leaving bad. Think about it. Now, Peter is a a fisherman by trade, and this is probably, he is probably negotiating the largest catch of his lifetime. He's, he's, he's probably the most likely the largest source of revenue he's ever had in a single fishing expedition. But at the mention of it is the Lord, he drops everything and he heads in. That tells you and I, gives you, you and I a, a pretty good idea, of the love and the admiration Peter had for Jesus, doesn't it? Peter can't wait for, for the boat, so he jumps off. He swims to shore where Jesus already has a fire going. They sit down to have breakfast together. Again, this is the third time now he has appeared to his disciples. We pick up the story as they all pow, kow, kow. So what does that mean, all pow, kow, kow? Look at the first five words of verse 15. When they had finished eating, <laughs> they all pow, kow, kow. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This weekend, we're going to hover right here, but let's go back and take this five verses in little bites. I'll go back to the verse, verse 15 again. I'll read it for you can follow along. More, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. There's a couple schools of thought as to what Jesus meant by, say, by saying these. What's he asking him about? One school of thought, he says he's talking about the fish, both the fish that they caught and the fish that Jesus is cooking. He's looking at the fish and he's looking at Peter. And really what he's asking him, it's believed that he's asking him, do you love these fish more than me? Or do you love fishing? Or more importantly, Peter, do you love, you went back to fishing. Do you love me more than your secular career? Do you love me more than your job, your former job? That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is that Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him, who is Jesus, more than his fellow disciples love Jesus, right? It's almost as if Jesus is asking Peter, do you still love me more than these other disciples love me? You might ask, why, why would Jesus ask Peter a question like that? Well, if you remember, just before Jesus gets arrested, he tells his disciples what's going to happen very soon. And he tells them, and all of you are going to abandon me. You're all going to leave me behind. But his old foot-in-mouth Peter, I mean, he said this in, in uh, Matthew 26, 33. It's going to come up. Peter said this, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. So whether Jesus is inviting Peter to leave behind his former fishing career, or he is asking Peter if he still feels the same way about him as he did before. Either way, and this is what we need to understand and embrace, folks. Either way, it is obvious that Jesus in no way has given up on Peter. Peter may have bailed out on the Lord, but the Lord has no plans to bail out on Peter. For those of us, my hand going up, at times in our life when we've bailed on God, maybe we bailed on God because of selfishness. Maybe we bailed on him, we failed his precepts. Maybe we bailed on him at some time because of our anger or rage. Maybe we bailed out on God because of peer pressure. Or maybe, like Peter, we bailed out on God for fear of not fitting in with the rest of the crowd. Whatever the rhyme or reason, we may have bailed on God. Hearing clearly that Jesus still has kingdom plans for Peter, that should be a breath of fresh air for all of us to hear. Can somebody say amen? God doesn't give up on us, folks. If you're taking notes, you can fill in number one there in your notes. Like Peter God does not see you as a failure, only as one who has fallen. Only as one who has fallen. Too often folks get it in their heads that if they keep fumbling, God ain't going to handle the ball no more. They get it in their head like that. They keep, they, if they keep disappointing God, eventually he'll disqualify them from any kingdom assignment. And that is not biblical. Somebody say amen. That's not biblical. It's crystal clear that Jesus does not see Peter as a failure, folks, since he is inviting him and he's entrusting his lambs to him. He said, feed my lambs. He, he must 
trust him. He's not a failure if he's willing to do that. Jesus is well aware that Peter is very vulnerable at this time to guilt and condemnation. Peter, folks, he didn't just deny that he was a disciple of Christ. He denied even knowing Jesus to a little girl. You don't think, people, you don't think Peter excuse me, remembers the words of Christ in Matthew 10? Peter was there when Jesus preached this. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Old Peter, folks, he point blank denied the Lord. You don't think he was wrestling with some condemnation and guilt? You bet he was. And yet, from the voice, the heart of Peter, you hear nothing of condemnation. Nothing in verse 15. Why? I'll tell you why. Because, because God knows, like Peter, we, he is not, and we are not failures, folks, but we are fallen. We are fallen people. We're, blo- we're blood-bought, we're washed in the blood, but we're still a fallen people. He knows, folks, from the very beginning the, in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed, disobeyed God and listened to the lies of the enemy in the garden, humanity would always struggle with sin, and we will always fall short at times. It was in the garden after they had fallen and Adam and Eve sinned that the Lord spoke directly to the devil. He spoke right to the, the serpent. He, said, he says this in Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we Pentecostals and us Charismatics, we love to quote and we love to sing about how Satan is under our feet and we can stomp on the devil. Yeah, we love to do that. And we do have a victory in him. But sometimes we forget the other part of that scripture, right? It, it, it goes on to say that he shall bruise your heel, right? He's, yes, he's speaking of the crucifixion of his son to come in the future. But he's also talking about humanity that would come from Eve's seed That's you and I, folks. We're going to take some hits. Yeah, we can bruise his head, but there's going to be times he's going to bruise our heel. We're going to take some hits. Somebody say amen. Amen. He didn't didn't put that in there if it's to sound good. There's going to be times when we're going to get hit. We're going to stumble. God anticipated our shortcomings long ago when he set the stage for his son to bring us into right standing with him. You and I can live free from condemnation if we choose to believe him. Isaiah 43 says this. I, even I, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin, what? No more. Listen to me, folks. If he, what he remembers no more should not condemn or guilt you no more. I'm going to say that again. What he remembers no more should not guilt and condemn you no more. Amen? Once you and I have received by faith the completed work of Calvary's cross. God doesn't see your failures, folks. No, he no longer sees your sins because your sins are washed away. You and I, if we come daily to the cross, daily to the cross to confess and repent, we put everything under the blood. He promises to forgive and he's faithful to forgive us and to restore us. He's not keeping score. Listen to me out there. Those of you dealing with guilt, he's not keeping score. He's not checking boxes. He's not walking around in in glory with a clipboard. Folks, listen to me. If he he were to be keeping 
the score today, if he would be ongoing keeping score, then what he's really saying then is that his finished work is not really finished. Come on. He's, he, he, his work is finished. If, he, if he's still keeping score, then he did, his death was not, just not enough. And that's a lie from the belly of hell. Amen? Moving on, verses 16 and 17. Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. If you notice from these first three verses, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus has asked Peter three times if he loves him. Why all the repetitiveness? It's generally accepted that he asked Peter three times about his love because he knows that Peter denied him three times. Isn't that right? It's generally accepted that. But included with every inquiry about his love, Jesus gives Peter a commission. He gives him an assignment, right? He's, he said, if you really love me, he said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't come to, on the beach that morning, folks, and start up a fire and have breakfast so that he could interrogate Jesus for being, I mean, Peter, for being a flake, a coward, and a liar. Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't planning on doing that, Peter. He wanted Peter back up and running again because Jesus had big plans for Peter. You can fill in number two there in your notes. Restoration begins when we hold fast to his grace and focus on our race. Hold fast to his grace and focus on our race. Church, there is nothing more liberating than getting a clear understanding about the grace of God in our life. It's a grace that says this, put your total trust in what I did for you long ago. So in times of disappointment and defeat and discouragement, when you fall down, you will not stay down. Each and every one of us, folks, have a race of our own. I cannot run yours and you cannot run mine. There are people and places God has planned for me to reach, just as there are people and places that God has planned for you to reach that I never could. The Hebrew writer talks about this in chapter 12. It's going to come up. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The writer says, there is a race that is marked out for me, you, and all of us believers. And the same is true with everybody here and online. When you and I experience times of discouragement, defeat, times when we blow it, times when we fall down, can I just encourage you to get up and run again? Amen? Don't bail out. Don't go backwards. Get up and run again. Don't allow overwhelming guilt or condemnation to detour you away from God's very best in your life. If you are running your race, listen to me, and you fall down, get up and start walking again and keep walking forward until you can run again. Amen? 
You walk till you can run. If, you, if all you can do is walk with the Lord and you fall down on your face again, pull your face off the ground and you crawl forward until you can walk forward and then you walk forward until you can run forward. Can somebody say amen? That's how we live. That's how we walk. That's, that's what we do. Rinse and repeat. We get up and we walk until we can run. Proverbs writer says this, Proverbs 24, 16, for though the righteous falls seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. I love this proverb because of who it says falls seven times. It, it's, it's funny. It's, it, I'll tell you who it doesn't say falls seven times, although we know they do. It doesn't say that the flaky Christian falls seven times. It doesn't say the lukewarm believer falls seven times, or the attic falls seven times, or the backslider falls seven times. No, it says that the righteous fall seven times. So if the righteous falls as many times as all those others, what makes them righteous? You know what makes them righteous? They rise again. Amen? That's what makes them righteous. Not that they fall, but that they rise again. If you believe that, say amen. And we have to rise again. I'm going to get a little transparent here with you. I shared this briefly in the past, but it's worth repeating. It was in March of 2020 when a pandemic hit the world. That year, Sandy and I were celebrating our 31st year of marriage. With all those years invested, the pandemic did something in our marriage that we never experienced before. For 31 years of marriage in 2020, Sandy and I have always been a dual-income family. We've always had full-time jobs that we would leave the house to go to in the morning and say goodbye in the morning and come back at afternoon eating and say hello again. We did that 31 plus years. I was actually in 2020, I was actually even more busy out of the house more often because I had already been bivocational for seven years, for several years before that. Then March 2020 hit and not only did we not go out and go to work anymore, there was a time that we couldn't even leave the house. Remember that? We couldn't go to the beach. You couldn't go to the park. We couldn't do anything. We, we couldn't go anywhere. I, I, I used to love to jump in. I love to go in the ocean to decompress. Couldn't even do that. Even my church job here, we were strictly on Zoom. My, my wife and I were locked in together 24-7. Somebody else say amen, so I'm not the only one. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Folks, this is uncharted this is uncharted territory in our, for three decades of our marriage. And I'm going to tell you the truth. We failed miserably at it. More than just being locked down and locked in together, as, as the months went on, it morphed into more like we were locked in each, each other's face for 24-7. You know what I mean? It was, it, it was, it was when, folks, the conversation we were having, the, the conversations we were having, it began to surface about getting fed up with this marriage that we both recognized we too had fallen and it was time to get up. Both the lies of the enemy and our own selfishness was on the verge of knocking us out of the race that God had set before us. Her and I made a decision that we would both enter into personal counseling, first time in my life, personal counseling by way of Zoom. Again, first time in my life, I did seven sessions of Christian counseling with a pastor from New Hope, Oahu. And Sandy did four sessions with a counselor from Queens. 
And because we did that, we're healthy today. We're healthy today. We both understood, folks, that God's grace was still in our lives and that he still had plans for us. But all we needed to do was to get up and go forward and get back into the race that was set before us. Amen? It would have been easy, folks. I'm not going to lie to you back in 2020. It would have been easy for me to fall into condemnation back then. Now, they were, it was knocking on my door. There were vo- I was hearing voices. Pastor Art, the one who's been counseling marriages for decades, and now what? Your marriage is on the verge of crashing and burning. It's the kind of lies, the kind of condemnation. The supposed counselor now needs counseling? That's the lies. I thank God for his Holy Spirit that reminded me to hold fast to his grace and get my butt back in the race. Can you say amen? Amen. And the same is true with each and every one of you. The same is true with each and every one of you. You do whatever it takes. You get back in the race. Amen? I'll say it again. If you're running for God and you get knocked down, get up and start walking forward until you're able to run again. If you're walking with God and you fall down, you crawl forward until you can walk forward and you walk forward until you can run. If you believe that, say amen. amen. That's how we do it. That's how we roll. Remember, restoration begins when we hold fast to his grace and focus on our race. Let's look at the last two verses of our text before we close. Jesus is giving Peter a very timely and prophetic word here that you and I would do well to listen to. Verses 18 and 19 says this. Very truly, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The writer John in these verses, he's, make, he's making it very clear that Jesus, uh, Jesus is giving Peter a snapshot of a death sentence that Peter was all too familiar with. It wasn't that long ago that both Peter and John, they watched Jesus get his arms stretched out on a wooden cross and his hands were pinned to that cross with spikes. And they watched as Roman soldiers lifted his, his impaled body upright and they led him, he led him where he did not want to go when they dropped that cross into a hole in the ground so that they could put him on public display. Jesus is preparing Peter for what to expect of himself someday. Jesus is not only letting Peter know that difficult and, and tough times are ahead, but also that if he has any hope of enduring it, if he has any hope of finishing the race the way he, the way he needs to, he must stay close to Jesus. He said, follow me. This is going to happen, but what you do, follow me. You follow me. You can fill in number three there in your notes. Like Peter, our shortcomings do not define who we are. But they should remind us of who we need. They should remind us of who we need. One of the biggest heartbreakers for me, especially as a shepherd, is to see when somebody messes up, when somebody drops the ball or stumbles and falls, then this is the part that hurts. The guilt and the condemnation eventually drives them away from the one that they need the most. It drives them. It's almost like you come home one day and you see your house is catching on fire. Instead of grabbing your water hose, it's like you go into the garage and you grab your, 
your gas cans and you start put the fire out with gas. That's exactly what it's like when you run from God, when you need God the most at that time. Somebody say amen. Instead of running to the one they need the most in their weakest eye. And I know some of you know people like that. I know because I know too many of them. So I can't be the only one that knows them. You know people like that. Maybe you've lived through that. They, they, instead of running to the one they need the most in their weakest hour, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation has them running away from him. That old pun screams loud and clear, folks, out of the fire, firing pan and into the fire. That's how true it is. When we run from God instead of running to God. Years ago, I used to facilitate a few care groups. We, New Hope Oahu, we called them care groups. Over here, we call them ohana groups. And I, I, I led a men's group on Saturday mornings, and I had a couples group, family couples group, on a weeknight. And there was this beautiful young couple. They recently got saved. They recently got married, and they were pregnant with their first child. This brother loved, local boy loved to play music. Uh, and when he got into Christianity, he, wanted, he began to lead worship. They had that new converts zeal all over me. I love it. I love hanging out with new converts, praise God. But there's only one problem. His brother being a, a new convert, sometimes his brother would stick around a little too long after work and after punching out, and he'd have a few with the boys. You know, he'd stick around and have a few with the boys, right? And his wife understood. She, was, she wasn't happy about it, but I was, as I was teaching them and facilitating, I was teaching them about sanctification and the process of sanctification. And so she understood that he wasn't, you know, being belligerent, come home, beat nobody. He's just, he's sticking around and drinking. So she was rolling with it. But what happened the next day, this brother would get overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation to where sometimes they wouldn't show up to group. They, they missed church for a couple weekends. Why? Because he felt like he let the world down. He felt like he let God down. He felt like he was a liar. He felt like, I can't go to church. I'm a hypocrite. So I worked with this young brother, and he began to understand that when he messes up, he needs to run to God and to the people of God, not away from God or God's people. Run to them, right? This couple, I began to explain to him that this couple began to thrive and do well. I, he, began to, he began to embrace sanctification as a lifelong process. Folks, we are being sanctified, and we won't stop until Jesus takes us home. If you believe that, say amen. And he needed to understand that. This couple, they began to thrive. Then in 2003, my friend, Rich Wilbur, pastor friend of mine, we were teaching adult classes at Oahu, New Hope, Oahu. And he asked me to help him pioneer a church on the west side, Waianae. We started a campus called New Hope, West Coast, Oahu. That's where, incidentally, I met our pastor, Robin, for the first time back in 2003. See, the man that called me uh, in, in Waianae, it, it, it caused me to release my uh, obligations, my care groups in Mililani, I, there was too many plates I was trying to spin. But I kept contact, all, all my people in the groups, we all kept contact. But this couple, this young, beautiful couple, they kind of dropped off the map. I remember running into the sister of the wife of this couple. I ran into her just a couple years afterwards at Pearl Ridge. And I'm talking to this brother's sister-in-law, and she tells me that, the guilt and condemnation, every time this brother fell short, became so overwhelming that his wife, she couldn't handle it. The roller coaster and the dramas was too much. This beautiful couple, 
I found out that they, not only would they stop going to church, they, they went through an ugly divorce and they went through an ugly custody battle for their beautiful little baby girl. And I, at last I heard, they weren't even talking to each other. Tragic. All because of guilt and condemnation. We are all going to fall short at times, folks. We are fallen. We are human. Jesus prepared Peter ahead of time for what to expect. He knew the only way Peter was going to finish his race, he had to stay close to Jesus. That's why he tells him, follow me. He had, and Peter did just that, folks, because history records that Emperor Nero would have Peter crucified in the Vatican City. And not only did Peter go to the same cross, but he felt so unworthy to die in the exact same manner as Jesus. He requested that he get crucified upside down. Peter had his share of shortcomings. We always like to laugh and talk about Peter, but ultimately he found out who he needed to finish his race well. Amen? As we close our interruption series this weekend, we talked about one of the most, and I believe it, the most insidious attacks to our faith, guilt and condemnation. Nothing wrong with good old-fashioned conviction and repentance. But guilt and condemnation, it's the most insidious. Let's just remember, folks, that just remember this. If you're going through that, or maybe you know somebody, you need to tell them this. That you know what? God doesn't see you as a failure. But he knows you're fallen. He knows you're human. Amen? He, he, there's going to be times when we fall short, when we drop the ball, when we stumble. Right? We, we, we need to accept that. Embrace the fact that it's going to happen. Not to say we want to do it. But remember this, restoration starts by holding fast to his grace and focusing again and again on our race. And lastly, don't allow your shortcomings to define you. But let it remind you who you need more than ever. And we all say amen. amen. Let's pull it. Let's pray. You're here today and every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today and you're wrestling. You're wrestling with guilt, condemnation. You just, we just want to pray. Online, online, online family also. We just want to, we're going to pray for all those just going through that battle. If that's you today, every head bowed, every eye closed. Just stick your hand straight up in the air. You're wrestling with that. Yeah, yeah, okay. See you here in the middle. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you over here on my right. See you on my left. Yeah, anybody else? You're raising your hand to God. You're not raising your hand to art. You're saying, God, yeah, this is me. Look at me, God. Feeling condemned, you can, you can go ahead and put those hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus, both our family here and our online family, we pray for all those that have listened, that have listened to the lie of the enemy, Lord God, or listened to the lie of their own heart, that they are condemned. God, we pray for them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, just remind them, Lord God, that you don't see them as a failure, but you know that they're fallen. Remind them, God, that, remind them that they, they need to get back in the race. If they've fallen out, They've been detoured or sidetracked. God, get them back in the race. By your Holy Spirit, guide them, convict them back to the path you would have them on, God. Father, let, let, them, let each and every one of us, especially those that are wrestling with con condemnation and guilt, let them just remember, Lord God, that we need, more than ever, we need to run to you when we struggle, not away from you. We need to follow you closely, just as you told people. Peter, follow me. Let us hear those words in our own lives. Every day, every day we get up out of bed, God, let us hear the words of Christ. Follow me. 
every day, God. That's our heart. That's our desire, Lord God. We want to be a people, Lord, that are strong in you and the power of your might. You have a race. You have an assignment for all of us. And there is a real live adversary that does not want us to complete the course, the race set before us, Lord. So we as one family, we pray together. We unite together. We, lo- we link hearts and spirits together, trusting you, Lord, in all things, Lord. We love you, God. We thank you for this interruption series, Lord. I pray that these past seven weeks, many lives have been interrupted in a good way. Many lives have been changed and ordinary situations and people are are experiencing extraordinary things just because of who you are, God. We love you, God. We're so grateful you loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name and we all say, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.